Celtic Stuff Live. Welcome to Celtic Stuff Live on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio and video coverage for the Boston Celtics who are moving on to the second round after a Game 7 victory against the Milwaukee Bucks. John, I'm going to say that I got pulled in a little bit back. I know the last show, I was pretty distraught. We'll just put it behind us for now. I, I know we're going to be revisiting this topic. We even got an email from old friend JB uh, for referencing the tinfoil hat days on our previous show. And uh, I still haven't replied to him. I got to get back to him. I've just been tra- travel schedule has been nuts. But uh, JB, if you're listening, we're definitely going to reach back out to you here. And uh, but it was it was really funny because I really finally broke my vow of silence on the officials and. I, I will say the last three games of this series, I was not as focused on it as I was in games three and four. That's where I think it was really out of control. Were there still some curious calls throughout the series after that? Yes, but not to the extent of the ridiculousness that we saw. And then the Celtics, they lose Jalen Brown essentially at the half and don't have him for any of the second half and actually wind up pulling away in the fourth quarter and really, just shots were falling. It was like nobody could miss, especially Terry Rozier. Terry Rozier, he put the nails in the coffin. Um, he was just absolutely nails. They couldn't hit it. They couldn't hit anything that first half. I mean, it was, but it was it was the ultimate of water finding its level. I thought in that game seven, where the Celtics seemingly couldn't make a three, but still were ahead because they just were playing so much better than the Bucks were collectively, collaboratively, every other C word you can throw at it. I mean, they were just doing it better than the Bucks were. And then the second half, the starts, the shots started falling. The Bucks started to kind of wilt a little bit. And I think the key really was that start of the fourth quarter where, you know, the lead was, I think 10, 11, somewhere in that ballpark where it was certainly was not a, a foregone conclusion. This game was over and it, the Celtics went with a lineup of Larkin, uh, Baines, Ojale, I think smart and, uh, Marcus Morris. And I thought, okay, this is where either this becomes an absolute death match in, in the final minutes or the Celtics somehow are able to find enough time to be able to hold off the bucks. And that group, that group that had really not played well for, I'd say, the large part of six games really came through in that seventh game, of the, in the fourth quarter of the seventh game. It wasn't quite Kelly Olynyk against the, the Wizards in 2016, 2017, I mean, but it was tremendous. And so you got to tip your cap to them. But I think most of all, Terry Rozier, certainly in the fourth quarter, but Al Horford, man, Al freaking Horford, that guy, everything. It, everything he was everything in this series for the Celtics, and I know we want to look at Jalen Brown, and it's exciting. Tatum had a nice night, took in the first quarter and the fourth quarter, not so much in the middle. But Al Horford, you got to give him his due. I don't care who you are, I don't care what you're expecting. When the games are at their most important, Al Horford steps up and he gives the Celtics what they need to win. And they did. Well, you know what's funny about that? All that criticism all year long and last year too. And it's funny you say not quite Kelly Olenek 2017 like it was a long time ago. (laughs) That was so funny. But I will say you have Al Horford. He's always leaving room for other players to perform because – 
and this is wise. If he contributes in all these different ways and leaves room for the rest of the players on the team, they're going to be a better team. They're going to be able to throw different looks at the opponent, and they're going to have more success. If he was trying to dominate every single game, he'd be the one fighting through injuries and really has been an injury. I, I feel like I've been very, we've been very blessed with his health other than the concussion uh, earlier in this season. But outside of that, and that's something doesn't matter how much you play or don't play. It's in an inverted hit to the head, and there you are. But as far as, well, you look at Jalen Brown. He's got the hamstring. We'll talk about that in this show. But you see how many, how much of a revolving door it's been with injuries with this Celtics team. And he's been a staple, and he's raised his game, as you mentioned, in the postseason. When they need it most, he's carried them. And to be honest with you, John, and I think this is why I got so frustrated with games three and four and why I said the fix was in, that as much talent as there is on this Bucks team, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but I never felt, especially even though that close game one, I never felt like the Bucks were as good as the Celtics, and that was including the fact that they're all they're all injured. I, I I mean, I looked at that roster, and I didn't feel that way heading into the series. I was concerned about the series, but I felt that way after games one and two. I felt like the Celtics are a cut above, even not at full strength. And it doesn't make a lot of sense when you look at all the picks the Bucks have and look at what Chris Middleton did. And then in Game 7, Bledsoe, other than the fouls, wound up having a really good game. You would have thought that that would have been the difference maker. And instead, it goes completely the opposite direction. So some surprises there. I can't lay my finger on it. Maybe you can. Um, I think their coaching sucks. I think that might be the start of it. You know, I mean, I think that that's, that's what you point to is that they are not a cohesive unit. I mean, let's take, let's take, for example, Smart picks up his fifth foul, I believe. Um, at which point in time Giannis has the ball and he's lined up with him. Now, if you put LeBron James in that situation, and, and yes, LeBron James is, is a, is a different caliber of player right now than, than where Giannis is. But I think, you know, in terms of that beat, that court awareness, you know, you see that the similarities are there. But this is where you saw Giannis as a 23 year old. He passes out of that matchup. You know, LeBron is going to see that matchup, do what he can to back him down a little bit, try to get him a little bit closer, try to draw that last foul on him, knowing, yes, it's Marcus Smart, but if you get that that foul on him, this game changes, especially with Jalen Brown's injury. He passes out, you know, Giannis passes out of it, and, you know, the coach, hey, no, no, clear out, clear out. No, there's no clear out. They they pass out of it and nothing happens. It just it, it just seems time and time again. How could they not get more out of Parker? How could they not get more out of Brogdon? How could they get find a way to to get Thon Maker out of the series after him becoming such a big role for them? I mean, it just seems over and over and over again. The Celtics made the adjustment they needed to make, and and by the time you get to Game Seven, they were they were as you said they were clearly the better team. Do they have the better talent right now? Eh, not so sure. I think, you know, I, th- I think all healthy, no question the Celtics are better. But the team that we saw, I thought, playing uh, for the Celtics against the Bucks, I thought they were fairly comparable in terms of What about of veteran presence? Do you think that's a difference maker? It always is in the postseason. And normally it's because you're getting calls as well. And the young yeah. players don't really benefit from that. But I felt like Giannis got away with a lot of stuff. You know how I feel about the officiating. That's not the difference. It's just veteran muster. I mean, even somebody who's really not that old, right? But you look at Morris. Uh, that mm-hmm. That man has a veteran swagger to him out on the floor. And he's, I, 
I know we won't necessarily know who the leaders in the locker room are, but something tells me that Marcus Smart and Marcus Morris are two emotional leaders in the locker room. And certainly this series and the Celtics got a lift from Marcus Smart coming back and just in time because, like you saw the other night, Jalen Brown goes down. So they definitely needed that extra player out there, and especially one that was going to attack, even if it wasn't so much generating offense or raining threes, yeah. but just putting the pressure on the opponent. That was all there. So that's where I'm going to – I know there's a, a very young squad, but you just gave props to Al Horford, and that's kind of where I'm going with it. Even Baines had a really nice game seven for him as well, and I think that veteran – presence on that roster and we can tie this into a Philly discussion shortly but that veteran presence on in the locker room and on the floor really made a difference for the Celtics and oh. and, and coaching is a factor but I think that's the other one well I think yeah I, and they go hand in hand in part right but I you know I, Brad talked about in the post game he was saying you know Baines and Horford have been our, our rocks since, since the beginning you know, I can't, he said, I said something to the effect of, I can't think of anyone who could do more for this team than Baines and Horford have, you know, and I think, you know, that speaks to that. That was part of my, my, I guess, frustration with Mook Morris to this point. I really thought in those second units that Morris was going to be able to use the, you know, that Wiley veteran. <laughs> I was saying this, I mean, he's not. He's this is not a guy in his thirties. He's mid twenties guy, you know. That's what I mean. <laughs> to call him a veteran, it's only because of right. how young this team is. But he would still Absolutely. be a, considered a young player on any other team as well. Totally, totally. And I think, but I thought here in the fourth quarter, uh, in that in that run that I talked about, the start of the fourth, you know, you could see that there was like, look, we're we know what we need to do here. We know how we need to to get buckets. There were times, and I think in this series, particularly in Game Six. You know, Brad had to call a timeout and then they, they'd be, they'd play well for a few minutes and then it'd kind of fall apart, especially when Al Horford was off the floor. Uh, you didn't see that in game seven. And I think you're right. That's experience gets that. You know, it's, it's veteran savvy. You need that on the court. You can't call everything from, from the sidelines. And those guys, guys like Morris, the guys like Smart, uh, that, that was the difference, I think, and being able to play smart in those situations. Um, Parker just didn't have that that intellect to stay on the court. Brogdon, I mean, you saw Jason Terry out there a lot in that seventh game, and I thought that spoke to just your point, which is, hey, uh, the Celtics have seem to have these guys that know what they need to do out there in a game seven. We don't. Let's throw out an 85-year-old point guard who can shoot a little bit and can't do much else and hope that that's, that's going to you know carry, all, carry down to the rest of this team. It didn't. All right. You can follow Celtic Stuff Live on Twitter at CSL underscore Tweet Live. As well as your host, follow me at CSL underscore Justin. John is at CSL underscore Duke. And the entire CLNS Media Network at CLNS Media. The Facebook page, facebook.com slash CLNS fans and download the CLNS Media app for iOS and Android. Simply search CLNS Media in your app marketplace. Finally, the YouTube channel, youtube.com slash CLNS Media for high definition, full length locker room interviews and the garden report, the round table and snippets from right here on Celtic Stuff Live, among other great content that's out there. So, John, we talk about that veteran presence, and I want to segue, obviously, that series is over. We've wrapped it. We spent the first 10 minutes of the show on it. On to Philly, which is in my backyard. So I've got neighbors 
that want to have this Philly-Boston rivalry going. I got a text message first thing Sunday morning. It's on. It's on. So it's going to be a wild ride. But we've been looking at the 76ers for a couple of years and saying, look, these are going to be the two younger teams with high draft picks. We've kind of predicted it. I feel like the 76ers got ahead of schedule this season from what I thought. I figured maybe one more year, especially when Fultz got injured. He's kind of been a non-factor this entire season and definitely in the postseason. And who knows, he might get some garbage time minutes here and there. They had a very easy, I will say, as compared to the rest of their Eastern Conference uh, playoff hopefuls, they've had a fairly easy go of it in the first round. So they've been resting up. And that veteran presence for them primarily has come from J.J. Redick, which I knew he would bring a lot to the table. But I feel like he's probably the glue that that team really needed to to vault themselves up. And mostly the final two-thirds of the season is when they really got it going after they developed some chemistry. Yeah, you go back and look at their – I was just looking at their game, kind of their game log. And the last five teams that they've lost to were playoff teams. And you have to go back to get that fifth loss. You'd have to go back to February 25th. So (laughs) they had a run. They've been on a run, yeah. And but as you said, I mean, this is you, there's a lot of Orlando's, Memphis's, Brooklyn's in that in that run between early February, early March, I suppose, and and you know the start of the playoffs. So you got that. Um, you also got them having played a Miami Heat team, which arguably was the weakest of the bunch, um, maybe the best defensive group of the bunch, but. Lacking, they were the team. I think the team that most. That's who we wanted. Wanted to face. Yeah, that's yeah. who we said we wanted. So there you go. So here we are, right? We're here with Philly. You're behind enemy, enemy lines, um, and <laughs> I'm bunkered be- down. You, you- <laughs> it's like being a dude. The minute you get out of New England, it's brutal. I'm a Pats fan. Oh, I can't that. even tell anybody anymore. I know. You and, know, and, and pretty you know, soon it'll be the same way with the Celtics. In the past, everybody's been like, "Oh yeah," you know. Yeah. But it's been pretty safe since I moved from Maine. <laughs> For the most part, and then uh, now it's getting unsafe again. Well, between the Eagles and the Super Bowl, and now Sixers, uh, Philly's been—they're—they're they're feeling themselves right now. You know that so, Super Bowl not- did temper things, though, on the Celtics front. I am going to tell you, it kind of appeased the fan base. They're—they're they're still in the afterglow. So this whole rivalry, while it's there, it's nothing like what it was like before the Super Bowl right now. Well, I—I I think. I think just hang on, my friend, because I think you're going to be in for a wild two weeks of hate, discontent, and anger. Coming just don't from treat me like Philly a Vikings neighbors. fan. That's all I'm going to say. Don't treat me like oh, a Vikings fan, dude. I think it's going to be worse. I, I'm, I'm, I'm girding for battle at this point. I think it's going to be really ugly. I, <laughs> I look. There is nothing worse than a Philly fan who feels full of themselves going up against a Boston fan who is full of themselves and has seemingly no expectations given the injuries, uh, the hospital Celtics, as we're now calling them. Um, it's this is this is only the only thing that can be shed is blood all over the, the Twitter screen. It's going to be completely insane. And, you know. There is there is a very personal feeling to having to losing to Philly, because I think that there's an 
illegitimacy to their run right now. Feeling it's like if we were fully, fully stacked, we would have a chance here. They're getting kind of an easy run here to run through Miami and then, you know, arguably, I'm not saying it would be easy for them to beat the Celtics, but easier than if uh, the Celtics were fully stacked, uh, which they will be 12 months from now. So, it's it's kind of unfortunate for the Celtics isn't that you know maybe Philly gets a little bit of a leg up on trying to grow their franchise now we're gonna have to face them with you know kind of one harm tied behind our back and see the best see what we can do and hoping you know Jalen Brown is back and and being what Jalen Brown can do because I really think the only way the Celtics are going to be able to compete in this series is having Tatum and Brown kind of really star and make these secondary pieces who have joined the Sixers late in the year makes them have to work on the defensive end. Yeah, with Brown, do you think they'll sit him game one just to give him a little bit more rest in the concern that they may come out fast and furious and then he aggravates that hamstring? Or do you think they're going to let him roll out there in game one and just see how it goes? Because they do get two days off after game one. So that would be a lot of rest for the hammy. And they only have one day off in between Saturday night's game seven victory. And well, by the time this airs tonight's game one matchup against Philly. So the one thing I do like about it is nobody's traveling very far. And this is one of the short, other than the New York teams, this is the shortest flight on the docket, right? So that's a good thing. It's a hop, skip and a jump. So whatever, treatment they need to get at home, etc. They're not going to get really travel weary. If they were playing like a Miami and going all the way down to Florida, that's again, still short flight staying on the East coast, but, but Philly is, is much preferred. So hopefully that'll, I mean, there may be guys who wind up sleeping at home. They just make the travel on game day to Philly. Right. So that would even be good. I just think that helps people recuperate regardless, but do you think they'll give them the game one off and see what they can do? Great question. I don't, I don't think they will. I think they're going to, I think they need to, to get as much as they can out of these two games at home. If anything, I might punt on game three, even though, you know, knowing that the schedule, as you said, is certainly in its favor. We haven't, when we're recording this, we, there's apparently going to be an MRI done of, of Jalen's hamstring. We'll see what that comes up with by the time we, you may hear this. You may have a different, uh, there may be some different information or they may just keep the answer short and, and to themselves, which I think would probably be the wise thing to do. Keep Philly guessing because it does. Jalen's impact in this series, uh, is really interesting because I'm, for one, I look at, I look at where he fits and, you know, you look at, they've done a Match-ups. lot of Bellinelli. Absolutely. A lot of Bellinelli and a lot of, of JJ Redick. And, you know, defensively, those guys are not exactly great. Um, you know, I think JJ's made himself into a passable defender as we saw against, uh, the Celtics in 09 and, and 10. Uh, he really, and he's gone obviously much further, but he's also 32 now. So I think Jalen could really work him in this series, uh, if he's fully healthy, but <laughs> if he's fully healthy and defensively, all he's going to really have to do is chase him around screens. That's not exactly easy on a guy with a bum hammy. Uh, so would you, would you want to sit him? I think if he's healthy and he's ready to go, I might try it, see what I can do. Because quite frankly, they're, in a way you could argue they're playing with house money. I don't think that's the way Brad looks, looking at it, but I think as fans, the fact they got through the second round is kind of, it's kind of a bonus, you know, I mean. How wild will it be tough. if they get through this series and make it to the Eastern Conference Finals? Considering 
the state of the roster. I really, to your point, at the end of the year when we were wrapping up the season, you know, Brad Stevens, coach of the year, I don't see how he can't be. Uh, he deserves it. This is really amazing what he's done. And they won't judge it based on playoffs, right? So it is what it is. But but he'd yeah. certainly deserve it. He does deserve it, no question. I mean, if he's and if he's able to get past um, the Philadelphia the nineteen eighty one Philadelphia seventy sixers, which is what everyone's building up this Sixers team to be, I think that they stand a good chance to uh, to to really run through the finals because I just watched the Cavs and uh, Pacers play, and the Cavs don't look great. I mean, LeBron's LeBron, but. Uh, they don't strike fear into heart, my, any hearts. And Toronto had a hard time with Washington, who was you know, arguably playing the worst of all those three bottom feeder uh, playoff teams. I think the Celtics stand a really good chance of getting through. Uh, it's not, but it's not going to be easy. I think this is going to be a long series. I, I don't see any way that, that the Celtics aren't going to scratch and claw for every little bit, even if they find themselves undermanned without Brown. I think that they're going to really make Philly work. Brad has always had a really good, um, game plan to go against Embiid. Embiid has not really gone off for the dynamic scoring and dynamic efforts that we've seen him pull in against other teams. So I think we look at that, whether it's he's going to throw Baines at him, throw a big body on him, or at times stretch him out with Horford, I think he's going to make Embiid work. The real question in this series, to me, comes down to the shooting. Can they keep Bellinelli and keep J.J. Redick under control? In this last series, you had Bellinelli averaging 16 and a half. You know, JJ was averaging 20 points a game. That can't work. And if the Celtics take away the three ball, which they were the best team in the NBA taking away the three ball, the Celtics, I think the Celtics stand a much better chance of winning this series than people think. BPI, now, if you want to argue whether or not it means anything, ESPN's uh, basketball prospectus index, whatever it is, uh, they say the Celtics have a 51% chance to a 49% chance for Philly to win the series. So they call it close. I think I look at it the same way, but they think the Celtics can pull it out. It should be fascinating. Yeah, I, do, I think it will be close. I felt like the Celtics could take this one. Um, all along, the thing that is concerning me and everything you just laid out there with Jalen Brown is certainly a red flag or an asterisk to this series. It should sway that 51% over to Philly's side if you know you don't have Jalen being able to play 100%. would be even interesting at the bare minimum if they try to reduce his minutes because they don't want to aggravate it in game one, even if they do roll them out there. We'll talk about more matchups here in a second, but if you wear contacts, then you know how annoying it is to have to get a prescription year after year just to be able to buy more contacts. Simple Contacts is changing all of that by using technology to make renewing your prescription and buying contacts super well, simple. And here's how it works. Using your phone or computer, you can take the simple contacts vision test in just five minutes, literally anywhere. And a real doctor will review your test results within 24 hours and they write you a new prescription. Boom! A fresh supply of your brand of contact lenses is on the way to your door. No more appointments, which I love. No more waiting rooms. I love that even more. And no more overpaying. Everybody loves that. Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it. 
I definitely got my contacts in like 48 hours. I can't even tell you how fast it was for me. And I love not going to the office. I travel all the time for work. As a matter of fact, I'm on a stretch right now where I only spent four nights at home in four weeks and I ran out of contacts. So this was a super simple and easy way for me to replenish those contacts and not have to try to make an appointment and fit it into my schedule. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses, their prices are unbeatable, and the prescription that you get from the physician is just $20. The contact lens prices are even more super competitive, and shipping is free. Best of all, our listeners get $30 off their Simple Contacts order. So, to save $30, on your lenses, go to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or enter the code CSL18 at the checkout. I do have to mention, though, that this isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You'll still need those occasionally, but it is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. Again, check out Simple Contacts and get $30 off by going to simplecontacts.com slash CSL18 or just enter the code CSL18 at the checkout. Give it a try. Thank me later. And listen up, fellas. 66% of men begin losing their hair by age 35 and choose not to do anything about it. Why is that? Well, not until it's too late, but it's a whole lot easier to keep the hair that you have than it is to replace the hair you've lost. So, Have you started to notice the receding hairline? Or maybe you're like me and your son finally spoiled the secret that you couldn't see on your own. That's right, the bald spot hiding in the back. Why is it that we do nothing when we can turn to medicine and science? Here's your chance. Our listeners get a free trial of four hymns for just $5 today, right now, while supplies last. See the website for full details. Go to fourhymns.com slash CSL 2017. This would cost you hundreds of dollars if you went to the doctor or a pharmacy. That's fourhymns.com slash CSL 2017. All right, John. So let's, let's talk about those matchups and specifically you kind of talked about the guard play there I think that one's pretty good but what about Embiid how is it that Brad has game planned against him you look at somebody like Shemi Ujale who had excellent success especially later in the series guarding Giannis on an Akempo are they going to do something like that again or who's going to guard him they're going to probably throw a couple of doubles at him uh, fairly frequently if he gets close to the basket, but he can shoot the three ball too. So what's your thoughts there? It's really tough. I mean, he, and he's not only has he stepped up, I think he's also, you know, they've learned to play without him as well, which is kind of even more frightening. Um, and, of course, they folded him back in, and he's you know average eighteen in the last last series. So it's it's not as if he uh, they, they're still trying to figure it out. They seem to be able to work without him, regardless. I think that what's worked is they've actually done quite a bit without Horford. They've actually played a lot with Baines, uh, using throwing the big body on him, trying to make him work. He hadn't shot the ball well, uh, in the, in the, in the matchups this, this thus far this year, uh, from range. So, you know, if you've got Baines making you work, you, you're not hitting from the outside. It's really hard. And, and also I'd say Ben Simmons hadn't reached the level he had and not to change subjects, but, but certainly the, the, those two stars are really what those, that team is about. So now that Simmons is moving the ball around and things are really kind of popping for for Philly 
I think that's opened up quite a bit for Embiid. It may be a lot harder for the Celtics to play the way that they had in, in throwing the big body on them. I still think they're going to do it. I think they're going to start Baines, put Horford on uh, Ben Simmons, and then try to just mar- mark those shooters. Now, I just saw Asherod Blakely just came out with a report. So, again, we're, as we're recording this, the, the Brad talk today and that they're listing Jalen is doubtful for tomorrow. So, to your point, uh, he go. hasn't been running today. They did, they did the imaging, and apparently everything looked good, uh, but it's still sore. So, I think they're going by how he feels, um, which is – which is, I think, an encouraging thing somewhat, uh, in that, you know, there's nothing structural. There's nothing there that, you know, said, Oh, we've got to give so much time. We're going to go by how he's feeling and how it's, how it's going. So that's, I think, a, po- a promising thing, but sounds to me like no Jalen on game one and try to give him a shot in game two, which obviously then means it's a lot more pressure on guys like Smart, Larkin, Rozier to chase around those shooters and not help as much. So it's going to be a much bigger job in collapsing down on Embiid. Do you think Shemi winds up pulling some of the guard guarding responsibilities? Do you think they kind of – I mean, no. he's not really a two, right? But they are thin, to your point. They were thin well, before Marcus Smart came back too. But remember how many minutes Rozier piled up. And it was almost like his world opened up when Marcus Smart came back. I'd hate to see us go back there. Maybe Larkin, who had a really big shot in Game 7, a clutch shot, winds up playing more minutes and and continues. Maybe because of the matchups, you can get away with Larkin more as well, as long as he's got the confidence on the floor when he's shooting. Yeah, I, well, I think, I think Ojale, that's a good point. I think Ojale is going to give a lot of time against uh, Simmons. I could see them... You know, instead of when they've been coming out and throwing Ojale kind of on Giannis in those instances, I could see them coming out and, and going small, but throwing Ojale on Simmons and trying to make him kind of pull, pull and beat from the basket, have him, you know, have, you know, Horford kind of on that matchup, Ojale on Simmons, and then just have everyone else chasing, whether it's Covington and, you know, the, the other thing I'd say too is this is a much bigger team than, than Milwaukee. They're very long. It's kind of an easy transition in some ways, other than, you know, the freak that is Embiid. It's kind of an easy transition because they're both those kind of long, rangy teams. Uh, the difference being that Philly's got some real shooters and some guys who can run around the, the perimeter, but you know, you've got not only do you have you know Embiid Simmons, but you've got uh, you know Sarich, you've got Rashawn Holmes, you've got Covington, you've got uh, you know Ursan Ilasova. You know, you've got a lot of guys who are kind of these like you know long, long players. So it's real. A lot of the pressure is going to be in the front court. Um, and so I look at you know guys like Ojale. I think is going to have a is going to need to have a, a strong series defensively. I think you know Tatum's rebounding is going to be really important. Um, you know, if you can find a way to keep Embiid back, if you can find a way to keep Simmons back, you're going to need those guards rebounding. You're going to need to have guys like Tatum, uh, you know, defensively and offensively, picking up an even bigger share of the load, especially without Brown in there. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think, I think Shemmy's earned it. And this is what we thought he was going to be all season long. All right. And then he went through major lapses of no playing time. And obviously necessity calls his name now, but he's risen to it within his skill set. He's not trying to play beyond his ability. I think that probably there were moments where he shot the ball too much during the season and was trying to get his stroke going. And they probably reeled him back in on that even and just said, listen, 
just focus on playing the defense, get the rotations down, be a freak out there. Uh, very much sort of like in a Marcus Smart Jr. kind of way, obviously playing a different <laughs> position. But you, don't you get the sense that they're kind of expecting him to, to play that similar disruptor, agitator role defensively? Yeah, I think you're right. I think they want him focus on one job, you know, do some other things, but focus on one job, you know, and, and don't screw up. Stay on your guy. Stay on, stay on that guy in particular. <laughs> capital T, capital G, that guy. And, and make sure he's not going to cause problems for the rest of the defense. I think that's his job predominantly. And then the other things that he does, if he picks them up, great. You know, he hit a, he hit a nice three there on the second half in game seven. That's great. I think you look at those things as somewhat gravy, though he needs to hit some shots just so you know you can keep playing him. He can't be a complete zero. Uh, on the offensive end, you need to have him, you know, be active out there. Even if he's offensive rebounding, would be would be a real plus. Yeah. Um, well, I, the rotation's know, short because that's just the way it is. To your point, so you can't you have to have him be a threat. But Philly's rotation's been short all year too. They've only run eight, maybe nine, but they're usually really a top seven, eight players that get the bulk of the minutes out there, which is why it's really a travesty that that first round series didn't go the distance and go seven because those guys would have miles on them. And instead they've been able to rest up. So I want to get your predictions. I know it's a little early in the show, but we've got three games on deck before we come back for our next show. So we got Monday night. That's tonight. If you're listening to this, uh, the day it airs, we got Monday night, then we have a Thursday night game. So as we said before, two days off in between. Then they get Friday off. They play a Saturday early evening game against Philly. And then obviously you and I will be back that next Monday before any other games at that point. So three games on deck. I still think they're going to split at home. Um, man, it would be so much easier for me to say that the Celtics take game one and it's game two where there's a letdown. Because I just know how raucous that crowd is. I know how the energy is. But we have seen this Celtics uh, club, I'll say, under Ainge. Because we've had different coaches and, you know, we've had different players. And so I can't I, – I feel like this is something since you and I have been doing the show. We see it happen a lot. They dig in these weird seasons. They dig themselves a deficit and find a way to crawl out. And I know that's not what happened against Milwaukee, but it almost did in game one. Uh, you know, obviously Terry hits that big shot, but then Chris Middleton knocks a crazy one down and they wind up going away winning. But I feel like game one is sort of the upset, upset game for the Celtics anyhow. So that's, I, I think they split the first two, but then I think they take the first one on the road against Philly. So when we come back, I still have the Celtics up 2-1, but I think it's one loss at home, probably game one. They take game two and then they take game one in Philly to get the series back to the home court advantage that they had when it started. Um, I think it would be two one when we come back as well, but I think the Celtics will win both at home and lose the first in Philly. I, I think that this is a, a series where it's gonna be very similar to the Milwaukee series. Um I think you've got both really young teams and yes you've got uh you know, Horford, yes you've got JJ Reddick, obviously Horford, <laughs> you know, tipping the balance there, but that's not 
th- these young teams and role players play better when they are in front of their home fans. The Celtics fans are going to be absolutely insane <laughs> Monday night, Thursday night, and the Philly fans are imp- absolutely and positively insane in their own regard and will bring that same energy in, on in game three. So I think this is going to go exactly the way the Milwaukee series is. I think this is going to go tit for tat. Home, 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 all the way, all the way. I just don't see that, that I think Philly has a good enough team to, to win on the road. Uh, but I don't think the Celtics fans are, they're going to be present and the Celtics are going to be good enough to, to steal those games. I, I think the question is, I don't think that Philly's defense is going to be good enough to stop the Celtics offense. Celtics offense has sputters. I think that's, that's the Celtics Achilles heel right now, even though there were some, incredible lapses at times in that Milwaukee series. I really think that the Celtics offense is really where the issues lie. And I think at home, especially at times when Mook's feeling better and, you know, all of those, you know, Ojale's, you know, feeling better about his shot. Larkin for that matter, those games are going to matter. And I think those are where you're going to see the Celtics, you know, kind of jump ahead. Another name that we had. Well, hold on mentioned. real quick before you do, I, yeah. I have to follow on that because I know yeah. we're going to move on to another topic. So that, that game three victory in Philly. Now here's my prediction there. This is the first of the playoffs that Philly didn't have the home court advantage, right? So first round, they have the first two games at home, no pressure. They just get to go out. They feed off the energy of the crowd. But I feel like if they, even if they're just trying to hold home court or that they steal from the Celtics, that that kind of puts them in a little bit of a pressure scenario. And who's from Philly, man? Mook. It's going to be his home. I have a feel. I'm calling game three as a super mook performance. And that's one of the reasons that they do it. I think that's just what the doctor ordered for mook Morris, right? He goes in back to where his roots, him and his brother, obviously twin brother. He goes back to their roots and steals one, uh, for the, from the hometown fans for his hometown 76ers. The storyline would really be something. And the Philadelphia media, just think about how bananas they'll go for that interview afterwards and what that, you know, there's so much storyline for that. And, and honestly, it would only bring the series because I do think the Celtics are going to drop them at home. It would only bring the series back to even. Now, if the Celtics do take the first two, I could see a similar scenario where they just don't get any calls in Philly and the game three doesn't happen. So if the Celtics do take games one and two, I do think they lose game three in Philly, but you know, that's because the fix is in. It's all predictable. So if they lose one at home, <laughs> they take game three and get their home court advantage back. All right. So what's the other name? Spit it out. Well, I was just going to say, I think, I think this is a, I think this could be the series where we see the return of Moose. I think Greg yes, Monroe is actually going to make. An, I think he's going to make an impact in this series. Philly's too big and and plays too many traditional bigs for them to not um, try to give Mook uh, give excuse me Moose another another opportunity out there. And especially where they're in a situation where they're going to be lacking on the perimeter, why not throw the throw the big Moose in the middle there and see what happens? I mean, I think if he's not Plus going he's a against playmaker. the Heat, 
At that position, well, he is, he's sure. Al Horford light. He's a playmaker. The ball moves. They tried to have, and we talked about it in that first series, how Horford and Monroe out on the floor together. And I said, they need more of it. They need more of it. But then, obviously, Milwaukee went small, and that didn't happen. But to your point, we could see the resurgence of that. And it could really do wonders for that sputtering Celtics offense, like you said, just having two bigs out there, one who's a rebounder, one who can play the kind of defense that they need to on Simmons, and yet both are passers on offense so that things don't get stagnant. I'm not trying to be old man river on this. I, I just really think that this is a chance for, for him to try to one, give them some, some consistent offense in the second unit. And two, they're going to go probably go small in that, in their second unit. They've played Amir has been, uh, they're, been really their eighth guy. And if they just matched Amir's minutes with, uh, Moose's minutes, I feel like that's going to, that's, a, that's a, a matchup the Celtics can win, you know. Yes, we know Amir can go out behind the arc and take 45 minutes to get one shot up, which <laughs> will be great. <laughs> I mean, Bane started doing it too. I just love the way Brad is, like last year with Amir and this year with Baines. Although, as much as Amir had success, Baines looks better doing it, and he gets it off way faster. <laughs> He does. It, it's, it, there is no one who could shoot slower than Amir Johnson. <laughs> nobody. <laughs> nobody ever. I mean, oh boy. You know, and so anyway, I, I, I'm not worried about Amir's, you know, pulling the Celtics from the hoop and pulling, you know, Moose from the hoop. I, I welcome that. I think that putting Moose in the middle and having his passing in that second group will, will, really be a big deal, especially if you have to kind of shift around what they've done with uh, the fact that Jalen likely, it sounds like, will be out for game one. I think Moose being in there kind of allows you to do some different things um, around uh, that absence. And, and, you know, whether that means you kind of put Rozier with that group and, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure how you how you juggle the, the lineup there, but that's a guy I'd look at. I think this there's bigs, and they, yes, they have stretchy bigs who are, you know, like Ilyasova and Saric who want to, you know, pull up to three and do a lot of things with the ball. No doubt about it. But I think that if they can get 10, 15, 20, you know, 10, 15 minutes from Moose, you know, in that kind of first to third, second quarter, third to fourth quarter time, I think that would be really helpful in, in trying to get an extra little offensive boost. Uh, while, you know, you, those are the times when you have Horford, you know, taking a rest. Well, if Marty Moose gets it going, we're going to Wally World. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm a big fan. I just want to see him get his chance. And I think that's a great note to end the show on. <laughs> This Sorry, month. folks. Park's closed. <laughs> Moose out front should have told you. <laughs> All right. That's going to do it for this week's show. Wait, who gets to be Chevy Chase? Well, we'll talk about that next show. We'll talk about that next time. Yeah. Roosty. All right. This broadcast will be available on demand on the CLMS Media Mobile app. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at CSL underscore Justin and at CSL underscore Duke. A heartfelt thank you to everybody for tuning in. And remember that you can help support the show by subscribing to Celtic Stuff Live on iTunes and Stitcher. We'd love it if you gave us a rating and a review because your feedback is important to the show. And for staff writer Samuel Elias, executive producer Larry H. Russell, the founder of CLNS Media, Nick Gell, and for my co-host John Duke, I'm Justin Poole, and thank you for listening to this week's edition of Celtic Stuff Live. 
Celtic Stuff Live.